0: And I remember getting the invoice from uh, the brand and said, "Oh, here's the invoice. Can you pass it on to your boss?" And I just looking at it, thinking that's forty thousand pounds from selling two designs. I w- I could live off that money for a year. Elizabeth Stiles is a fashion brand
1: consultant with over 15 years of experience in the fashion industry. She shares practical knowledge on marketing, manufacturing, and mindset for fashion creatives. And it was her experience in the industry that actually helped her realize she could achieve so much more if she went off on her own. But it took her years to realize her true gift for the world was inside her all along. First, she had to pay her dues in an industry that is known for its mean girl
0: atmosphere. I think the whole Devil Wears Prada horrible working environment is encouraged and sort of populated on TV. And it, it doesn't have to be like that. I've worked in lots of other fashion offices that are really nice.
1: In this episode, I asked Elizabeth about her longtime career in the fashion industry and how each moment built on another to help her finally break free and embark on a successful career on her own. If you have been thinking of quitting your job and setting off with all your knowledge on your own, this episode will inspire you and motivate you to set your next steps. Now, we had to cut the interview down for the podcast, but I kept the full interview inside our uncut vault, available only to our TGP insiders. In the full version, Elizabeth shares personal details about her background and how her parents' divorce affected her journey. She also shares many more details about the toxic jobs she endured while finding her path and the personal struggles during the most trying years. These details really help paint a real picture of her life and we don't want you to miss them, so we put them all inside our uncut vault. Become a TGP Insider today and get the full story at theglobalphenomenon.com insider. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts while you're taking a shower, thank you for spending this time with me. I listen to podcasts in the shower too. Make sure you get yourself a nice waterproof Bluetooth speaker though. So don't be propping that phone on that slippery soap shelf. Okay, been there, done that, not worth it. Also, please head over to the review section and leave us a five-star review and say something nice. It really helps support the show. And thanks. Here's our interview with our favorite coach in fashion, Elizabeth Stiles. Thank you. Welcome to The Global Phenomenon, the podcast about online coaching, the inspiring new career that has taken the world by storm, creating multiple self-made millionaires and opening the doors for regular folks like you and me to achieve our wildest dreams. Hi, my name is Ina Coveney, six-figure entrepreneur and business coach for online coaches, ready to live a rich, passionate, and abundant life without regrets. And I'm on a mission to uncover the secret sauce that made the top coaches in our industry rise to global phenomenon status so that you can be next. Today's episode begins now. Today we have the lovely treat of talking to my friend Elizabeth Stiles. Elizabeth!
0: Hi, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure to talk to you.
1: I am so happy that you're here. Before we get started, because you know I like to really go way back, why don't you tell everybody who you help and what you do for them right now?
0: I am a fashion brand consultant. So I work with independent brands on their manufacturing, marketing, and mindset.
1: Love it. And um, before we get started, actually, I have been scouring your social media and I just want to give everybody like the absolute fun vibe that you have on Instagram by telling you that I learned four things about you that I thought were hilarious and I'm going to share them with everybody so everybody understands the kind of person we're talking to today. Okay. Uh, Number one, that despite being a Brit, you do not drink tea or coffee. That is true. Yes. <laughs> okay. I I need to know, like, before I tell you, like, two, three, and four. What's up with the tea? I thought it was <laughs> like a national. Like, you have to, otherwise, you just you're you're just not legal. So, what I is know. your
0: tea? I'm not. Uh. Well, I am English. I'm born and bred in England. Um. In the countryside in England as well. I just my mom never gave it to me when I was younger. And then I think I got to like university and everyone was drinking tea and I was just like, oh, I don't drink it. And then even now to this day, people say like, that's really weird. Um, Why don't you drink it? I I don't even really have an answer. It's just like, I'm 36, I've got this far. Do I start now? I don't know. Okay. Uh, The second thing
1: is that you can write your name with your feet. How far back did you go? I go, I go back. (laughs) Yeah, I can. (laughs) That is is amazing. No, okay. Number three, you you once lit your hair on fire (laughs) while trying to take a
0: picture of yourself. Please explain. Okay. So I was in a bar and it was for my brother-in-law's 30th birthday. And I, it was like an old fashioned camera, so rather than being like an iPhone, I had my eye in the square lens like this, and I have really big curly hair. And I leant back like this to get the whole bar in. And been behind me, there was uh, like a row of tea lights on the windowsill. Oh. And so I was going, smile, smile. Why aren't you smiling like this? And everybody's and just like, in like, shock. <laughs> yeah, because there was like smoke coming out from behind my head. And finally, before
1: we get to your story, finally... Uh, And this was, this wasn't, it wasn't like it was surprising. It was just a really cool factoid that I might actually be asking you about later on. Okay. And that is that you are actually a bargain shopper. So you being in fashion merchandising, you being in, uh, being in the fashion industry for over a decade and knowing pieces, right? The fact that you would be a bargain shopper really caught my eye. Where, where did that come from?
0: I just think there is something so exhilarating about finding a bargain. Yeah. <laughs> um, and there is a shop in the UK called The Pound Shop. There is another one called Tiger that is like a designer, like a cheap designer shop, I guess. Um, and just everything is under five pounds, six pounds. And just me and my grandma used to have this thing. It, it's almost like less. Bargain more like small things. I love buying like little small things, as you can probably see behind me. Um, Uh I just love buying little trinkets. Uh Um, Yeah, I definitely get more pleasure from buying like a tiny little bowl in a charity shop versus, I don't know, a designer ball gown.
1: All right. So now that we got all those fun things out of it, I just really wanted everybody to know like the kind of person we're talking to somebody who is so fun and full of life so and before I start I want to tell you you I do my research for for these podcast interviews and uh, if everybody wants to go back and listen to your full story they can actually go to your podcast can you please tell everybody what your podcast
0: is what its name is and who it's for tell us a little bit about it yeah of course it's called the fashion brand clinic podcast and I started it because the fashion industry is so secretive Um, There is a lot of nepotism in the fashion industry, so it's very much about who you know, not what you know. And I just wanted to sort of pull back the curtain and show people what kind of careers you could have in the fashion industry or what other people's experiences have looked like. So uh, there's over 130 episodes, I think, to look back on a mix of solo episodes and interviews um with people who are in pr or um yeah like ceos of brands that are worth millions and other people who haven't even started yet so it's a real mix And I'm going to call out episodes 13
1: and 105 if anybody wants to listen to your full story because we're not going to have time to dive into every single career move. And I thought that we're all worth listening to, but we are going to zoom into a few Uh, because now that you do coaching, I really wanted to go back and see where you started. And everybody who follows you right now, uh, I want them to really get a full picture for who you are and how you became who you are. So why don't we start way back. Can you please tell everybody where you were born and what was being
0: a child as Elizabeth style was like? Uh, well, I was born in a place called Welling Garden City. It's about an hour north of London. And my mom actually told me there was another girl who was born on the same day, also called Elizabeth in the bedroom. Yeah. So, I don't know where she is now, but I hope she's having a good time. Um, and I was always, I'm the only girl in my family. So at the time of being born, I had an older brother. And then eight years later, I had identical twin brothers born. Um, so I have three brothers and I'm the only girl. And it was a really happy childhood. Um, I was always very creative um I enjoyed being with my friends but I'm also like more than happy being on my own uh my mum told me once that she I forgot my lunchbox and she brought it in and she said to the teacher is Elizabeth okay she's just in the playground on her own Does does she have any friends and she was like yeah she has loads of friends but sometimes she just takes herself off to be by herself and My mom was like, okay, (laughs) as long as she's all right, that's fine. But yeah, I was just um, like a happy little child. And then my parents actually separated when I was eight. Um, And then we stayed living with my mom and life just kind of carried on as normal. Yeah. How do you think that
1: factored into your character, your decisions now?
0: Well, my mom is and was financially dependent on my dad Mm. so from a young age she said to me you are never going to end up in this same position I'm going to make sure of it you are going to be financially independent um and so that was definitely something going back to your question about thinking about things that have happened during your life I don't remember where I was or the moment that she said it to me it was more just like a consistent message that I received throughout my childhood around being financially independent as a woman that was like very very important for her for me to achieve
1: So during high school, you're here thinking, well, everybody's going to go to university. What am I supposed to do? I don't want to do English. I don't want to do math. I can't draw. So you end up uh, like looking into, for some reason, fashion retail buying. How did you even, how
0: did you even land in this? Just did lots and lots and lots of research. Um, I thought, okay, I... I don't want to do an academic subject because I don't think I'll be any good at it. Um, I need to do something that I enjoy in order for, for me to see it through. So I found fashion buying through the fact that it was in the fashion industry, but it was more to do with the business of fashion and you aren't the designer. You work alongside a designer you're looking at what is commercial what is selling looking at the analytics but then again you're working alongside a merchandiser who is good at maths so you have mm-hmm. the maths person here and the design person here and you're the person in the middle trying to find the commercial ground that's perfect for the customer and I was like oh. I think this is it. Um, I go traveling, I build relationships with suppliers, I negotiate prices, I pull ranges together, I source fabrics, I look at trends. So it was a good all round kind of job.
1: Yeah, and you describe in your podcast every single career move that happened after that and what you learned from it. I just encourage everybody to go back and listen to that. I'm just going to highlight a few really important points because I want to lead up to how you ended up in coaching, how you ended up just doing this independently because you could have been in the fashion industry forever. You could have just grown your career over there. Now, you had a few points in your career where you were like, I don't even know if I want to do this anymore because the people in this company are just so freaking toxic. So can you please tell us a story of what happened when you were at that job?
0: Yeah. So after I graduated, I was working in a company that I really loved for like five years, but it was an hour and a half away from my family and my boyfriend. So I'd been doing long distance for a long time. So I, got this job at um, a company called Arcadia. And at the time it was the pinnacle of the fashion industry. I thought I had made it getting my foot in the door. It was on Oxford street. And so I just felt like I had landed in the center of the fashion industry in London and it was my time to shine. And from the minute i sat down at my desk, I knew I had made a massive, massive mistake because as soon as you walked into that office, you could just feel the toxic energy around you. And then I would ask a question mm-hmm. and they would say, I told you that on your first day, like in that tone, <laughs> shouting across the, the desk in front of everybody. It was just horrible Mm. so you were then petrified of making a mistake and therefore you were always on edge therefore you would make mistakes because you weren't concentrating and also on my first day I got a tour of the office and they said this is the toilet where you go to cry and I remember going to meet my boyfriend in the supermarket that evening and he was like how was it it's so exciting that you've moved down here and we can meet after work now and we don't have to wait until the weekend and it was pouring with rain and I just remember stood there being under my umbrella like yeah it was great and I couldn't tell him how horrible it was because he was really happy that I was home but obviously it didn't last very long. I think I probably told him the next day um, how awful it was. I think the whole Devil Wears Prada um, horrible working environment is encouraged and sort of populated on TV. And it it doesn't have to be like that. I've worked in lots of other fashion offices that are really nice. I just drew the short straw there.
1: Yeah. And it made you, like, it shattered your confidence. It made you, like, want to get out of fashion and run away. Can you tell us
0: what happened next and how you got your mojo back? So during that year, I would go home and I would apply for any job that was going. I was applying for being a postwoman at the post office. I was applying to be a nursery school teacher and funnily enough, I went back through my iPhone storage because it was becoming full. And I it said, your inbox has loads of space that needs deleting. And I saw all the job applications from 2013. And it was literally two, three jobs every single day that I was applying for. I was desperate to get out. And then I, on the last day of the horrible job, they pulled me into HR and said, you know, we don't have the budget to keep you on the sales are not good in the company. The woman who you replaced on maternity is coming back. And I was like, that's fine. <laughs> and they said, you, you do understand, don't you, that you won't have a job next week? And I was like, yes, I yes. understand that. And that is the best news I've heard. <laughs> and they said, OK, you, you seem to be taking this really well. Like, are you OK? And I said, this year has been the worst year of my life. It is so toxic in there. And I named two girls who were creating a lot of the toxic energy. I said, they make people cry on a daily basis. They have an attitude problem. They have like a seniority complex. And it, it's not okay. Like these girls are just graduating from university. They're learning really bad habits on how to behave in a work environment. Like I went, and everybody always says don't leave a job on bad terms but I thought somebody has to say something yeah and um that luckily the, the girls were grateful because one of the horrible girls left like two weeks after I left so mm-hmm. I don't know if it had anything to do with it but I'm glad I said my piece yeah regardless of what you should or shouldn't do
1: I'm going to fast
0: forward a little bit
1: to you have another job at Georgia Astor. Is that true? Um, managing, you know, a 50 million pound, uh, you know, b- purchasing for department for boys' wear, and you love this job and everybody can go and hear the details about it on your podcast. But I wanted to really fast forward to the part where you start considering leaving your job to do this on your own. So what came first? What what was that inspiration that made you say like, maybe I don't need to continue to have a job in fashion. Maybe I can just create my own job and my own market and my own demand and create my own money. Can you tell us like where that inception came from?
0: Yeah. So when I was working at Asda, the, one of my suppliers messaged me and said, do you want to come and work for us? So I went to meet him I was really nervous about going back for a job in London because I hadn't been back since that year. It was totally different he was lovely it was really relaxed and I went and I got pay rise which was great and so I worked there for about five years selling into retailers and one of the retailers we sold into couldn't afford our prices so what they said to us instead was we love your designs but we want to manufacture them um in the far east where it's cheaper can we pay you a design royalty fee and we we then own your design and make it somewhere else so i went back and checked with my boss he said yes and they paid us one pound per design which doesn't sound like much however they sold 40,000 units. So uh, we made the company 40,000 pounds without even really doing anything other than creating this design. We didn't have to manufacture it or produce it or get it into the country or ship it. And I remember getting the invoice from uh, the brand and said, oh, here's the invoice. Can you pass it on to your boss? And I just looking at it thinking that's 40,000 pounds from selling two designs I I could live off that money for a year. And then I think that idea never really disappeared about like, how could I make money on my own? And what could I do? What could I train as to stop putting money into millionaire men's pockets? Because I was a sales manager and I was like quite decent at my job I was making good money for people and you had to report your sales every week and I was like it's 10,000 pounds 20,000 pounds 40,000 pounds and I thought I don't know I didn't I just had this idea but I couldn't f- figure it out and it was just at the end of yoga one day I was lying down and I literally threw myself up at the end of the class and was like, Oh my God, I could do this on my, I could do my job, but on my own, I could teach people how to do the thing. I could teach people how to work with a factory, the pricing. And I remember like driving home so fast and saying to my boyfriend, like, I've come up with an idea. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it on my own. And he was like, uh, okay, <laughs> I don't really understand what you're saying, but go for it. Um, and I, I I was in a few Facebook groups with small businesses, and I just said, I am working in fashion. This is my background. Does anyone want to talk to me? I don't want to get paid. I just want to hear your struggles. I, I want to hear what you're struggling with. And I had loads of messages from people being like, help me, help me, help me. I really, I need the answer to this. And I knew the answer to all their questions because I'd worked in fashion for all these years. And I just assumed that everyone knew what I knew because I'd been to uni for fashion. Every job that I'd had was in fashion. Therefore, all of my friends were in the fashion industry. And therefore, all my friends knew what I knew. And therefore, I didn't value anything That I knew. Um, But that experience of just doing some really basic market research really gave me the confidence to think, aha, there is a service in this.
1: So at which point did you decide and anything you can do to help everybody who's listening right now, who's considering doing the math to see when they can leave their job? What was your path to leaving your job? What were the metrics that you said to yourself, I need to meet this in order to quit? Or like, how did that happen?
0: I think a lot of people who start their own business either get made redundant or they hate their job. And therefore they're starting their business from quite a low vibrational point. Whereas I, I was actually on this money and manifesting course at the time. And I asked the lady who was running it. I can't figure out why I want to leave my job, but there isn't a good enough reason for me to hand my notice in because these are all the pros of my job. There aren't very many cons going out to work on my own. I don't, it's the unknown. And she said, why are you waiting for something to be fit, uh, broken in order to leave? Why do you, why are you trying to run yourself into the ground to do something that actually needs you to be in a really positive headspace? And I was like, oh yeah, That's true. Why don't I just leave on a high? I never even thought about that or considered it like, yeah, just cut the ties here. I'm in a really good place and apply all that really good energy to do something on my own. Worst case scenario, I'll go back because I left there on really good terms. I'll give it a year. I had, I made sure I had three months savings And I pretty much did run through all those three months of savings in the first three months, going to networking events, doing lots of discovery calls, um, meeting as many new people as I could. And there wasn't, there was a little bit of traction back, but not enough to keep me going. And during that time, randomly, a guy from my old job said, Do you want some freelance work being a sales manager for this factory in China? And I was like, yes, please, because it was paying £40 an hour. um, And we could work as many hours as we wanted to get the factory some business in the UK. So that probably was the thing that actually paid my bills at the Mm. the beginning. And I did it for about a year. Um, And then I got another brand. As a consultant on a retainer and that then helped and so it was just about trying to replicate my salary as best I could by having uh, customers on a long-term basis rather than going an hour here an hour there you're always selling yourself if you're doing that whereas if you get one person signed up for six months you're like ah I can relax and you can start predicting more how much money is coming in So yeah, it was definitely a process.
1: What would you say are your most successful offers right now? Like the ones that uh, you're gonna continue to grow, the ones that are bringing in the money. If everybody's listening to this, kind of trying to catch like the gold nuggets of how she makes her business work on her own. um, What are those offers that are really like the money makers for you?
0: Yeah, well in lockdown, my business did a 180 where 80, 90% of my income, maybe even hundred percent of my income was coming from one-to-one work. And then in lockdown, I started selling courses because it was easier to work online. It was easier to scale. And now I would say 80% of my money comes from courses and about 20% comes from one-to-one work. And I have two courses. Uh, one is a marketing course called The Visibility Project. And the other one is a sales course called the sales project. And it's about helping fashion brands show up, be comfortable with selling and start becoming financially independent.
1: And also you have been taking, or I don't know when was the last time you did, but you have taken inspiration trips, South Korea, Tokyo. Can you tell us a little bit more about what those are? Are you still doing them? What, what is this?
0: Yeah so that was probably more like when somebody else was paying for it. <laughs> I I was I've been to lots of places. So when I was in buying like in the first half of my career I was a buyer we would mainly focus on going out to factories meeting factories and developing so I went to like Portugal and Hong Kong and India and then when I was a sales manager selling into retailers We had to come up with new designs all of the time, and so uh, the director would send us to South Korea, send us to Japan, send us to LA. I never went to LA, but I went to the other two, so it was good. Um, And we would go shopping, we would go out with a budget and notice what the trends were um buy lots of samples, take them back, use them as inspiration to present a range to the brands that we were working with, and then create new designs off the back of them. So yeah, we're very, very, very lucky to get paid to go shopping overseas. Right. And one thing that I heard
1: in your podcast that I thought was really, really good, not just advice, but just like a, a great rule to live by, um, was that you learned in one of your latest jobs how to be proactive about keeping your schedule with stuff in it, right? And you call it your the, the diary, right? A British versus American, call, you know, your calendar. If you see your calendar be blank, right, you learn how to take steps to fill it up with meetings, with networking. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Cause I thought I learned something listening
0: to that tip. When I was the, so like I was saying, first half of the career was in buying, second half of my career was working as a sales manager. On working for the sales manager, where I went back into London and I enjoyed it. That was like my last job that I had before I did this. He said, there is your address book. There is the phone make me some money (laughs) in a nicer way but that was pretty much it and he said you're I don't put anything in your diary other than reporting your sales on a Monday morning it's up to you to fill that diary and it was such a good practice in running your own business and not having somebody tell you what to put in or having meetings put in I had to ring the buyers and say, do you want to meet me? I have a new collection. I want to present it to you. Let me come and meet you. And then all the different departments in all the different brands, would just ring, 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 ring on the phone. And then when you're out on your own, it's the same thing. You have a, a social media account and a diary, put the two together and fill that diary. So I, have a calendar that shows me all my one-to-one clients and you know if one drops off I realize it's then time to start doing some discovery calls to fill it in again. Um, I think since doing the course with Alex I've got a much better understanding of how to plan my launches in as well Uh, so for courses I find the first six months of the year, you can pretty much launch anything any time, but then over the summer, I really struggle to sell anything to my audience because most of them are parents; they're all or they're on holiday. So July, August, the beginning of September are dead, and then September, October, November, I can sell something, and then December, I can't sell anything really. So there's, I've noticed like patterns in the year as well of when I can launch things and when I can't and when the best times are too. So I think that's a good thing to notice in your calendar is when you start having a business for a couple of years, notice what the patterns are because then I think on the quiet months, you can so easily say, what what am I doing wrong? Why is my diary empty? And actually there's nothing you can do about it and you just have to plan around it.
1: Yeah. And I I just love that tip because everybody who's listening right now is very familiar with posting on social media, but you are actually responsible for making things happen. You don't just post and just wait for the the phone to start ringing. And when you mentioned Alex, of course, you're talking about Alex Beaton, who is a launch strategist. We've both been in her program and everybody can go and listen to Alex's story on episode 101 of this podcast right here. So Elizabeth, this has been so good. Thank you so much for spending the time with us. Um, I just have two more questions. What is the biggest misconception that people have of you as a successful businesswoman?
0: I would say that it's that I don't actually work that hard Mm -hmm. because on social media, you see me going to the gym, being with my cat, being with my, taking my dog out dancing being silly creating funny memes hula hooping but I'm sat at my desk a (laughs) lot (laughs) and I would say I'm proud to say I work really 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 hard and it's almost like a job in itself to make it look as easy as it does from the outside And one person actually messaged me from my old career a few years ago and said exactly that. She said, you make it look so easy, but I know that you work really hard. And it was really, it really meant something to me that she appreciated how hard it it was behind the scenes.
1: So if everybody who's listening uh, had to do what you're about to tell them to do, and they have to do it in the next 24 hours, what is that thing?
0: ask your customer to buy something. So many people tiptoe around the edges. They say, here's a brand new collection. Silence. Right. it's a brand new collection and it's available to buy. Go and buy it. There is a call to action there that people are so terrified of putting in. And I went on a copywriting course ages ago and she asked everybody that had signed up to send in some examples of their copy and she said 90% of the copy that got sent in did not have a call to action on it that is crazy um so if you are creating a piece of content or sending out an email make sure it has a button through to your website and you ask somebody to buy the thing
1: bomb I'm like, I'm here. People can't see me because this is a podcast, but I'm here making the mind blown (laughs) motion with my hands, like right asking for the sale. So Elizabeth Stiles, you have been amazing. Thank you so much for being so generous with your story and really guiding us through the ups and the downs. Where can people find you and learn more quirky facts about you and see how easy
0: you make really hard work look? Oh, thank you so much for having me. I've really, really enjoyed it. And you are an excellent interviewer. Um, I am at Elizabeth Styles UK on Instagram. And that is S-T-I-L-E-S. So come and check me out. I have a newsletter called the Sell Better Newsletter. It is monthly tips, advice, sales tips, how to make the sale, confidence, motivation, and um, trends and It's just like a little monthly mixtape of everything that's going on in the fashion industry. And it is totally free. So you can sign up. Love it. The link in my bio on Instagram. And we are going to put all those links down in the
1: show notes. So everybody will have them right at their fingertips. Elizabeth, thank you so much for being here. Such a pleasure. Thank you. Hey there, Ina here. After listening to this interview, you may be wondering what you missed. What did our guest share with me that was so hot? I couldn't even put it in the mainstream version of this podcast. Become a TGP Insider today and get access to all of our uncut interviews, as well as access to the behind the scenes of my six-figure coaching business through my Instagram close friend stories. Head over to theglobalphenomenon.com insider or click on the link in the show notes for all the details details. And I'll see you inside our Facebook community for online coaches, where you can share what's going on in your business and connect with other amazing coaches in this space. Go to theglobalphenomenon.com Facebook or click on the link in the show notes. And I'll see you on the next one.